it's very hard for you to make the transition if you're in a solopreneur mindset into what you need to be, which I believe is to think like a business owner, which, where you step aside from the operations of the business. And if you don't do that, you're going to, again, not have anything scalable about what you do. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Tobias Dahlberg, founder and CEO of The Simple Company. With over 15 years experience in strategy consulting, innovation, and branding, he now focuses on mentoring business owners in the $1 to $10 million range. Tobias has built and owned five consultancies and agencies in the Nordic region, with clients including the Coca-Cola Company, Nike, Fiskars, Altia, and many more. Welcome to the show, Tobias. Thank you so much, Carol. It's an honor to be here. So you founded The Simple Company in October of last year. Yes. Tell me a little bit about what you do and the problem that you're solving for your clients. Yes. So as you mentioned in the intro, I mean, I was a strategy consultant focused on brand and business strategy for many, many years. And I worked Mm -hmm. primarily with large companies like 500 million to a few billion. And uh, what I learned was that... I like to say only simplicity works. I was like, they have too many clients, too much of everything. And then it was very hard to help them without always resorting to one strategy or let's say approach, which is to simplify, to focus. So that became kind of the the leading, uh, the name and the value proposition in the name. So what we do, and I kind of made a transition away from the big companies and I started helping people like myself entrepreneurs that run businesses between 1 to 10 million or 500,000 to Mm -hmm. 10 million, the problem we solve is really that the owners of these companies typically are what I call maxed out operators. Mm. And we help them build uh, businesses that can work even when they don't so that they become more valuable and they can have the freedom and the money and the time that they want. So we want them to become wealthy business owners rather than maxed out operators. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, how, how, so how did this idea like really come to you? Were you experiencing this yourself? Had you experienced yes. this as a business owner in the past? Yes, uh, okay. I'm. I was the maxed out business owner, and I and I had a lot of pains, um, emotional pains about that because I, as I grew, and I had, I remember having twenty employees, and we had like most of my dream clients, and like I'm from Finland, so mm-hmm. from the Nordic region, mostly. Pan-European clients, and it was people on the outside thought, you know, hey, it's going great. But the truth was, it was very unpredictable, and it was highly stressful because I became the the linchpin, as I like to think it. But I was actually mm-hmm. the bottleneck, and that led me then to think, well, everyone seems to suffer a little bit from that same problem, or or a lot. So, how are you being a bottleneck? How am I, or people in general? How are you? You said you were you 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 were really yeah. being the bottleneck. Yeah. So 
let's say if you want to have a company that can scale or grow, I mean, there are two different terms, really. Mm-hmm. You have to think about what makes you scale able, what makes you scalable, right? And so mm-hmm. then you can ask yourself a question, well, what about what I do is scalable? And if you're the one like me who are like, people come to you, so I'm part of the sales process, I'm part of the delivery as the main lead mm-hmm. strategist, I'm leading the company, I'm just wearing all these hats, that's not scalable. And so I reach mm-hmm. my limits at a certain point. People typically do it at at a few million or mm-hmm. or before that. So are you are you teaching people how to send send work out elsewhere to to free them up for this or to put processes in place? Both actually. So we we take companies typically through a three-step process. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing essentially is like looking for the healthy core, the healthy foundation of the company. And so that's very much like a um, an exercise in the 80-20 principle because most companies have a lot of waste or a lot of mm-hmm. things they do that are not high yielding. So we look for the highest yielding stuff and try to get rid of the stuff that doesn't belong. The second thing, um, once, once we have a healthy core, we, we build systems for scale. So that's processes and systems. And I mean, actually we do step number three at the same time, but the third step then is like deploying and implementing these different strategies and tactics for growing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer in, in that you don't want to be running a circus or chaotic. If you grow a business that is not healthy and, and systematized, it's going to be very hard. And that's what mm-hmm. I did. And that's what I paid a pretty hard price for it back in the day. Got it. So uh, you're currently bootstrapping this company, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Um, and is it because you're a services-based company? I, I, I find that, you know, really you just, even if you want a venture capital, they're not giving it to service-based companies. <laughs> right. Well, that's an interesting point you bring up because I have uh, started a private equity company. And so my evil plan is actually to find clients, <laughs> uh, the, the, the best clients that I can work with on an equity base. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I haven't actually even considered getting getting venture capital for my own business. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. So your your uh, background is in marketing and branding. Uh, tell me a little bit about your journey from where you got started uh, to where you are today. And you know, as I said, you you know you have you built a company prior to this that was worth a lot of money. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me about the journey to where you are today. Yeah. So I. Um, so if I go really back, I was once a golf player and I did a lot of sports and I even turned professional for a while, which is weird for somebody from Finland. And that's, um, I also came over to the United States and I, I played here and I got very excited about that. And then the reason I'm telling that is like when I started uh, my corporate career, I, I kept that very competitive attitude in terms of like, you got to practice and become better. And so after about five, six, seven years in working for, for corporate uh, companies, I, I realized that I'm, I'm a very classic entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. so I knew I had to get out of that environment. And then I started my, my first company, a brand consultancy back in 2008. And uh, from there, that grew into a few uh, subsidiaries. And so it was, I would say for the first seven years or so, it was... I was doing it much like everybody else in the professional service space or agencies in particular where you're selling projects mm-hmm. and it's not mm-hmm. really 
It's not productized, it's not standardized, and that's why it became so stressful. Right. So, yeah. And then um, I had a breakthrough in, I think it was like year seven, where I started to mm-hmm. experiment with productizing, standardizing my offering, and just not um, accepting the the skewed, or what should I say, the relationship between the buyer and the seller in professional services sometimes very... It's very off, let's say. The, the buyers dictate everything. You have no power. And I'm just like, I'm not going to do it this way anymore. So I was pretty bold in terms of simplifying my own business, standardizing it. And I'm, to my surprise, it worked. And so then I was like, well, there's a better model. And so I, I did that for a few years. Those were my best years by far. And then I got really excited about um, switching away from that target group and working with entrepreneurs. And so I don't know if this is correct to say this, but I, I love working with entrepreneurs and, and people who are employed. Sometimes I felt like I was more excited for them than they were. And so there was something about getting to work with entrepreneurs, which I just absolutely love. So, so, so you have, as I mentioned, have had a couple of prior companies. Um, looking back on those companies, Wonder and Kokoro, um, yeah. What would you say as a, as a leader are some of the mistakes that you made and what did you learn from those, from that? Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, there's so many of them. How much yeah, time no, do we that, have? That's, that's a typical <laughs> answer, right? Pick, yeah, pick the best. I mean, <laughs> I, I think in some ways, and this goes back maybe to my career as in, as a golfer, it's like I'm an individual sport mm-hmm, and I pretty much mm-hmm. was like, this is my company and I call the shots. And uh, I'm 47 now. So when I was like in my early 30s, I think there was a bit more ego involved than yeah, perhaps right. now. And, and just like not understanding that the only way to grow a business that you will actually love to own is by finding great people and giving them the, you know, empowering them essentially. I think that would probably be my number one thing. So I've just taken on more and more and more, and then you max out at some point. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. I mean, and that's, listen, that's what I, that's what, I mean, that's what I do. That's what I talk to people about all the time. I know people are, your people are your most, yeah, most valuable asset. And, you know, if you don't really put your money where your mouth is, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Yeah. And that's what I love what you do, by the way, because that's, that's where the money is. Yeah. Well, yeah. So then, you know, that's a whole other story. And I don't want to, I don't want to get waylaid to talk about myself because that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, is there anybody else, Tobias, doing what you're doing right now? I mean, there's a lot of companies that are, I mean, listen, I get, I get so much LinkedIn and email spam. Hi, we can help you scale your, this business. You can help you do, you know, if you need more clients, I'm like, Ugh, enough already. Delete, delete, delete. So What's yeah. the competitive nature of your business really? And if you've looked at what you're doing versus what other companies are doing, what's the kind of competitive nature of that? That's a great question. And, and, and as you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, the, and which, is, which is kind of ironic because that's where I come from. Like positioning and differentiation is kind of like mm-hmm. my very core as a strategist. And so, you know, if I had to say like, what are they? I would say that we are just very structured in how we do things. And this whole idea of simplifying also comes from, from this strong belief in, in focus, focus and differentiation. And I know, you know, that's not to say that that's completely unique, but I think as a combination of, of, uh, of you know, the, 
simplification, the focus, and being very structured in how we work, that usually wins over the clients that are good for us. I, I want to say that we're kind of sophisticated as a company, which kind of sounds maybe a little bit arrogant. I don't mean it that way, but I think like the, the people or the companies that you're referring to, like I get those like many a day. And most of them I feel are like, okay, here's a 25 year old who figured out how to run YouTube ads. And now they're speaking the same language that we yeah. do, which kind of frankly irritates me a little bit because I'm like, well, I was actually a practitioner for a long time. Don't get me time. started. I'm old. I'm old. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. I actually did this. I yeah. was actually in the boardrooms. I was actually doing this. So mm-hmm. please don't put me in the same basket. But, yeah, but I you know. know, I know that's what some people do. I, I see the same thing in my business. It's like, oh, stop already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know. sometimes I just like calling that out and saying like, you actually get to work with somebody who did it and right. just not exactly. advertising it. Right. Yeah. So, so how, you know, like I said, you just started, a, you know, you're not even a year old um, in this no. new, in this new venture. Uh, what are you doing to find prospects? How are you going about that? Yeah. So before I, I started the simple company, I had another uh, company called the Future Academy, mm-hmm. which the mistake I made with that coming from the brick and mortar consulting world was like, I started to attract a lot of solopreneurs. And don't get me wrong, I, I love solopreneurs. I love mm-hmm. the people, but it was more of a transactional, a little bit of a... It wasn't really the type of customer they wanted. So I transitioned mm-hmm. and we, we rebranded, if you will. So based for, from that, we have, uh, we have about 24,000 email contacts, uh, put mm-hmm. out a ton Great. of content. I'm not big in, on any channel like that, but it's enough to, to attract leads. So that's, that's mm-hmm. kind of what we do. We, I do have a podcast, uh, email, I do Instagram, all that you know, stuff that most people do. And mm-hmm. that's been working quite nicely. We still run ads. We don't really get them working. I'm, I'm kind of almost ready to quit, to be honest, because I just like, keep experimenting. And, and for a while, they haven't really been working for us so well. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and maybe it's just what you're doing is different, right? I mean, it's, it's anytime you're, you're working to disrupt, it's a lot harder. Yeah. People are used to doing things the way they're used to doing. And I think part of it is getting the right, for lack of a better word, keyword, right? Figuring out what the, the language is that you need to use to get, you know, somebody's attention. I actually ate my own cookie because I was like, wait a minute, like I'm, I'm talking to these agency owners, professional service firms mainly and saying like, Hey, you should have a more recurring, reliable, predictable business. Like I ended up mm-hmm. in this, what I call a uh, one night stand business, which is like very transactional. Like they'll, they'll buy something for you for 10 K once. And then like, there's not really a continuation from there. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, that's not the business I want to own. So that's why. Mm-hmm. Why we switched it up a little bit? Sorry, is, is that because on. you were is that because you were working with solopreneurs, or was yeah. it a, okay? And so what yeah. what yeah. what is it about the solopreneurs that is transactional? Well, I mean, it, I'm not sure if it's about them or maybe it was my my offer, but I do mm-hmm. know that many solopreneurs have have the goal of just figuring out how to support themselves and have a nice lifestyle. So they're kind of mm-hmm. like lifestyle entrepreneurs. And I'm mm-hmm. not so interested in that. I'm interested in people who, who are like what I call real entrepreneurs, where you're mm-hmm. building a business that is about something else than just yourself. You right. want to have an impact, you want to make a difference, you want to build something. Like That gets me really excited. I'm, I'm frankly not so interested mm-hmm. in like helping somebody make a little bit more money who's a freelance designer or somebody else. Mm-hmm. Again, 
love the people, but it's not really my my. No, my listen. I mean, it, it. Listen, the fact that you're clear about that is important, right? So many people yeah. go into businesses and they don't. They're not clear on you know, who should they be selling to? Why should they be selling to that person? You know, many different things, right? I think that's why so many entrepreneurs fail. Yeah. Because they're just You're not clear right. about that. Or they're, or, yes. they're, or they're not really solving a problem that needs to be solved. That's it. I think when you are a solopreneur who want to build something bigger, you still have quite a few steps to go. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and a big part of that is mindset and starting to think bigger. And mm-hmm. starting to to get over your biggest fears. So in some ways, I became a little bit of a or a lot of a therapist for a lot of people, yeah. which I kind of enjoy as well. But it's like, oh, let's let's go. You know, they they still have many steps to take to becoming business owners. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so steps like what, for example, what are they missing? I mean, I I think if if let's say you 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 start a business doing what you're good at. Mm-hmm. which is basically where this first potential problem lies because now you are doing the operations and the delivery. And it's quite yeah. hard to, to get rid of that. So you're like, oh, I'm maxed out. I have already have six clients. We're like, well, mm-hmm. how are we going to grow from there? Now we can do certain things with your business to standardize and make that more profitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's fine. But it's very hard for you to tra- make the transition if you're in a solopreneur mindset into right. what you need to be, which I believe is to think like a business owner, which where you mm-hmm. step aside from the operations of the business, you know. And if you don't do that, you're gonna again not have anything scalable about what you do. And if I can add one more thing, is like again a mindset thing is people have very modest goals. And uh, I don't get inspired by that if I can just be yeah. blunt. I mean, people <laughs> come in and they'll say, like, I'm earning 5K in my dream. I say, what's what's the dream that excites you? And they go like, uh, nine thousand a month. Like, oh, okay, <laughs> like, yeah, right. You know, you could do a lot more than that. And it's, I know, it's not about the money, but like, let's um, let's think bigger. You know, I think that's the the, tr- the true challenge because you have to first be able to believe what's possible yeah. for you. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's a really great point to buy. Is I, I'm I'm glad you said that because, you know, this is uh, you know this is a lot of a, a lot of what I see, what I hear. You know, there's there's uh, you know you know what my feelings are about the coaching industry. It's a low barrier to entry. Anybody can raise their hands yeah. with no with no experience and no training and say, "Hey, I'm a coach." Right. And yeah. I think there's a lot of that. You know, gosh, I'd be happy to make nine or ten thousand dollars a month. <laughs> right. You know, I'd be yeah, making over a hundred thousand yeah. dollars a year. Yay me. And I'm thinking, yeah. gosh, I, I mean, I haven't been at, you know, that low of an income since 30 years, probably, or 28 years or something like that. Right. So I great. think it's it's all a benchmark that people have. And there's a lot of people out there that can serve that market. You don't need to. A hundred percent. And you know what we used to hear on sales calls a lot. Uh, it's like, I like, what's your goal? What, what are you dreaming of? Well, I don't want to sound greedy, but I think <laughs> I could do 20K. And I'm like, wait a minute, let's talk about that. <laughs> you're, not, you're greedy for holding that, that thing, that talent that you yeah. have and not sharing yeah. it with the world. I, like, When would, did we start thinking that earning money is, is, is being greedy? Because it's in evil. a business, yeah. it's different. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I know this yeah. has always been there, but, but like, yeah. let's be honest, like, money is the oxygen in your business and money is kind of a way to keep score of how much impact you're making as well. I mean, it's not the only thing. 
Yeah, you know, you're you're right. And 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 again, I don't want to get too sidetracked on this because I think, you know, not everybody wants to be a billionaire. Right? And I think you know, part of it is 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 really asking somebody, right? Like what do you want out of your career? What do you want financially? What do you want? I mean, all those things because, you know, I used to say when I was still doing search work full time, um I would ask people, you know, it's not for me to tell you how much money you should want to make. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not my business. And 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 that's like really, you know, trying to put a square peg into a round hole by doing that. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, what's, you know, what's where are they now? What are you looking for? You know, and and you know, the reason I'm asking is because I need to know if this is going to be a fit or what I should call you, you know, when I should call you in the future about opportunities. Right. So those are the reasons I ask those questions. And it's, you know, the same thing for you, which is, you know, what do you want out of your, out of your, out of your business and career? And, you know, if the answer doesn't fit what you're selling, then they're not a prospect for you, really. Yeah. And that's so true. And, and if I can add a third thing to the solopreneur Mm -hmm. dilemma is that people who think in a, in a slightly, let's say, um, they don't think big enough. They're also usually pretty frugal and for understandable reasons. I think true entrepreneurs, whether they have money or not, they bet on themselves. And very few people mm-hmm. do who is like, well, to invest 10K, if you're making 10K or 5K, it's a big investment. You know what? Mm-hmm. Do you think that the people who came before you, the people that you look, look up to, the, the great entrepreneurs, do you think they would have found a way to do it? Of course. You know, so I, it comes down to mindset for me. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. That's really fantastic. So, what would you say in building your business are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing right now? Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. I think for this new business has been a little bit of figuring out which is the best model and the offerings. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I so for example, I started this with this idea that I'm gonna based it on more like a franchise model. So we have a few people who are partners who are were not employed, but they basically take everything I've created, tools and strategies, training and stuff like that. Mm. And I'm finding that it's a little bit of that problematic thing like with the solopreneur. So I've been mm-hmm. I've been switching up a few things. And now my my evil plan is like I mentioned is like to do equity partnerships and invest in companies. That's my end game. Mm-hmm. But I do mm-hmm. the same stuff of uh, the the programs um, without any share or something like that, which is which is like mm-hmm. a, a value ladder, if you will. But going back to challenges, I think is is still to some degree is like finding the right people to put in the right places and mm-hmm. making it work. Right, uh, doing what I teach basically. Because I'm not quite there yet, uh, you know. I say right. something pretty bold, which you made reference to earlier before we got on the call, and I'm not yeah. quite there yet. That's my main job. right. Yeah. So you know, it's interesting because I think this is a challenge. So many. I think there's that's the biggest distinction. That's something I discovered some years ago. Finally, the biggest distinction between being a solopreneur and actually building a business, as you talked about, right? Yeah. There were so many times I thought. I don't trust anybody to do what I do. <laughs> I know. And there's your limit. There's your limitation right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, that's, you know, you that's have, and, it, and if that, you know, 
that's part, part training, part, you know, and, and, you know, I always feel like, you know, you talk about franchising, um, you know, franchising gives you a model and there's certain regulations around it, right. You Mm -hmm. know, where you buy your things or whatever that is in franchise, depending on the kind of franchise it is. Um, but the reality is, is that if the franchise owner doesn't really do the work necessary, the franchise can't be successful. Yeah, true. Right. So that's, you know, there's still part of the interview process, whether it's your partner or the franchise, franchise, franchisee, that you have to be comfortable that they're going to really take what you're giving them and, and love it like you do. Yeah, absolutely. And nurture it like you do. Yeah. And in everything, you um, have to be able to let go, which is hard. Yeah. You know, yes. for entrepreneurs. Yeah. Well, the control piece, right? Yeah. Um, so tell me, you know, you, you've mentioned a couple of times, uh, you know, the evil private equity <laughs> company. <laughs> <laughs> I say um, that jokingly. Yeah. Which I don't want to get too distracted from because I find them to be quite evil. <laughs> the, yeah. the traditional uh, private equity firms hmm. uh, for many reasons. And tell me a little bit about what, you know, this, this idea of building equity partnerships in companies so, for you. What does that look like? Yeah. So if I can use you as an example, as an expert, is that okay? Mm-hmm. So let's sure. say if I get on a call with you, you give me great advice. And if it's free, I'll probably say, she's super smart. And I go back to my own limitations and I do nothing. I don't know if you have that experience, but right. that's my experience. Mm-hmm. If, you, mm-hmm. if I pay you for it, um, I'll probably execute. Um, and it, could, it can work out really great. I mm-hmm. am all about leverage in like, I wasn't about that before, but I like in recent years, I'm thinking, how can I leverage my time, my impact, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, if I want to make, let's say a million a month and I sold a 5,000 a month membership and <laughs> help people, then it's pretty darn hard. Yeah. It's 200 <laughs> clients. There's a lot to manage. There's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've mm-hmm. been there with a lot of people and that stuff. So I'm like, if I want to have more impact and I had fewer clients, and what really kind of, if I selfishly say what excites me, right. then it's really being there to actually implement with them and for them yep. and being a part mm-hmm. of the team. That, that excites me a lot. Now, then yeah. if, if we go back to you instead and say, okay, um, what if you consulted for equity or for an upside instead of a flat fee? I, I don't even know if maybe you're even doing that, but I'm mm-hmm. just using you as an example here. Mm-hmm. Um, what what could, could that enable? It could enable you to, to have uh, a win-win situation. So here's what a lot of business owners aren't thinking about. If they don't have money to invest, they might sit on a lot of equity. And I mean, a lot in terms of percentages that maybe aren't worth that much, mm-hmm. but they are potential money. So if they yes. say, hey, Carol, why don't I give you 10% of my company or 20% and I incentivize you and now you can work with me to help me reach my goal. Like that's something that not a lot of people see. Mm-hmm. So that's like a, like more of a sweat equity slash sweat and fee model. Now right. another model is to do well, acquisitions with money. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sorry, maybe I'm I'm digressing a little bit. But no, 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 you're you're you're. I mean, it's exactly right. I've, I I and I know other people who are doing what you're talking about, similar. And yeah. and you know, I I you know, the problem with just taking equity and working for free is then you're not making any money, right? So you have to balance that out. I've, I've had people say that to me, you know, um, 
are you willing to, you know, work for equity or, you know, this and that. And typically for me to do that, I very infrequently do that. Yeah. Uh, And the last one I did, we all, everybody that I brought in, we all left him. Who's an idiot, this founder. I mean, no business running a business at all. And I was referred into it by somebody else. And the idea was fantastic. The idea still is fantastic, but he'll never get it off the ground because he doesn't know what he's doing. And that's, I don't, like I said, I don't want to get distracted on my own stuff. But what normally I would say to somebody is, yes, you have to pay me this amount plus this amount of equity because I'm just, I've just cut my fees in half for you. (laughs) So, right. But it's got to be something I believe in and somebody I believe is it going to actually do the work? Yeah. So, so a couple of points and, and take the coaching and so on and so forth with, yeah. with this person I mentioned was completely uncoachable. You know, it was my way or the highway with him. So exactly yeah. for those now. reasons, I don't do mm-hmm. like the startup. Uh, I do. I look for companies who are like at a million yes. in revenue, or ideally, Very or they could good. be five hundred thousand. You really believe in them, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. the other thing is. Um, I don't really work for free. Like I, I might take on some, I'm working on something right now that I might do it just to get it enough because they're under my criteria, if you will. But, but the thing is like, mm-hmm. if the business is not healthy enough to be able to pay you both a fee, like a minimum secured income, then you, mm-hmm. you know, we just get broke if we do that. Right. Right. So, so there is, there's a nice sweet spot there when you do take a monthly fee, but really your upside is like if you help them deliver. Because it's always a two-way street when people say like, well, how can I be sure that you know, it's going to be worth it? Well, how can I be sure that if I work for you, that you implement? Because I'm not coming there to that's push right. your buttons. I'm not pushing buttons. I'm saying, right. and hey... And that's what happened in this... Yeah. yeah, I'm saying like, hey, if you have a 1 million business and it's making 100,000 profits, 10%, okay. What if it made two million and we got to twenty five percent in profit margin? Like that's what I do. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. you know how would you how would you like that? And the the way to do that is to work with me through a revenue share or equity base. Those are the yeah, options. Very basically. very great. I love that. So so tell me a little bit about what your um, kind of customer journey looks like, right? From the first call, how many calls does it take before you? You know, you before you close them, meaning you're ready to walk down the aisle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. they want to hire you, and then you want to hire them, right? Yeah. So the the funnel currently works the way that I produce a quite a lot of content, and my mm-hmm. I have a, a sales team that is led by uh, Michelle, who I believe you've met, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and she and the team are working on setting up meetings and taking first meetings and quite often I'm on the closing call, sometimes not. And then a little mm. bit depending on what the, the fit is, we'll, we'll sell them into a program. Now, recently we started something called the Game Changer Workshop. And the, the kind of the importance of that is basically taking out the strategy work that we do inside the program and, and putting it mm-hmm. separate so we can have a situation where we can vet. So the client can choose, hey, do you want to implement yourself to work, work with us? Then here are the options. Inside the program, it's basically always starting with what I call a game plan, just strategy and, and the mm-hmm. strategy broken down into like what really needs to happen. And I'm like super numbers based. So I know it doesn't sound so romantic, but, but it's like, I want to know exactly what your numbers are, how you're getting them. The only way I can help you is to break them down and to understand what's going on and mm-hmm. then see, okay, what do we want to change? And I've developed this, um, I call it the money equation. I, I think there's, there's an equation mm-hmm. in your business that 
whether you're aware or not, is like the cause and effect that produces the results. And we first have mm-hmm. to know what the results are. And then we can, I, I, I look at six different categories, which we then manipulate to your benefit to, mm-hmm. to create the change. So when somebody reaches out to your team and they're, they're you know, and they book whatever this first call is, right? I don't know, introductory yeah. call, discovery call, whatever that is. Discovery call, yeah. Um, what's the problem that they're calling you about? What do they think their problem is? What makes them say, yeah, I really want to have a call with this guy? So it's typically, it's either that top level thing, which is like, I'm that maxed out business owner that you keep talking about, okay. or then it's falls under, you know, the typical, like, we haven't systematized or we're not making enough sales. We don't have enough profitability. It's usually those mm-hmm. that makes them. And then we typically put, put them through an assessment because we feel like having mm-hmm. a conversation, which is not, there's no fact, it's, it's sometimes pretty hard. So, and, and, and I think it's good to create a bit of friction because if you're not serious, you won't go mm-hmm. through the assessment and then you drop off and that's fine because you probably weren't going to become a customer anyway. It, well, exactly. And, and when you talk about systematizing, is that different for everybody? Can you kind of give me an example of what that might look like for someone? Yeah. So with, you know, when, when we have a name, deliberately call ourselves the simple company, we, are, we have to always make sure that we keep things very simple. And so we have this philosophy that pretty much everything that happens in a business can be broken down into um, one plus two plus three equals a specific result. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes you have to get creative with that, but you, you can have sub steps, obviously. But we 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 take a look at like what are the main steps in your business, and and this is not something we've invented or anything. It makes total sense, but it's like, well, first part is basically how do you attract leads? You could call that marketing and branding, whatever you want. Then there's sales conversion. How do we how do we how do we turn those into sales, and how do we deliver value? And mm-hmm. how can we do that? How can we deliver value consistently at a profit so people you know, mm-hmm. people stay for longer? And it's, so those are kind of the three core systems. And so we have, I, I always want to use the term, I almost want to use the term plug and play systems, but they're like systems yeah. that we can adapt together with you because building systems is like people run away when you say the word, right? Everybody wants the systems, right. but it's a, <laughs> it's a bitch to, to build them, right? Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so no, no, we have like, look, fine. here they are. This is what typically what it looks like for, for a service firm. And we can now work together and implement them. We use very kind of simple tools mm-hmm. for that. You know, in my career, I've always said selling a product, a thing, and selling a service are exponentially different sales models, right? And, you know, I would look at people that I knew and I'd say, you'd see somebody who was selling a product. And then all of a sudden they went to work for a consulting firm and fell flat on their butt. <laughs> Couldn't sell the service. Right. But somebody who sold the service could make the move into a product and do better. Yeah. That's very interesting. And and it is very interesting. This is something I discovered decades, you know, decades ago. Um, when I was when I was, you know, doing doing in earlier in my career when I was doing primarily, you know, uh, individual contributor sales. Right. And that's something I discovered. And it seemed to be like all, almost all the time that was the case. What do you think it is about services that makes it so hard to sell for people? They need so much help. I love that question. And I, and I haven't thought about that before, but I'm just going to rant yeah. off that a little bit. So I think yeah. the product salespeople maybe 
resort to the product too much and skip what's really important, which is like, here's a human being with a problem. And, uh, and as we know in services, like that problem needs to be urgent and pretty painful for people to move forward. Mm-hmm. It's quite hard to sell and nice to have. Would you agree? That's right. So it, I, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. So a lot of people will come and kind of feel you out and sniff, you know, but they're, they're not buying before they really have that pain and there there's has to be a gap. Mm-hmm. And I think service people who sell services are probably better and more sophisticated at that. That's just a theory. Mm-hmm. I remember back mm-hmm. in the day when I was selling, I didn't know what I was doing at all. My consultancy, I did what everyone else were doing. I took the deck and we had some good names very early on. So I was like very proud, booked a meeting, we drank coffee. I went into my presentation. I spoke for way too long. I presented all the nice cases <laughs> and people said, that's very nice. We'll call you. And I was like, that yeah. went really well. Until I hired a, a sales director, she became a partner. And she's like, mm-hmm. what the are you doing? He's like, yeah. that's like showing yeah. them your vacation pictures. No one cares. And she showed me that's the exact right. opposite way to do it. And I, I think for me, that's mm-hmm. the key. I think you know what I'm talking about. Just like, it's all about them. I, of course I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's not yeah. about the product. Or it's all the about them. Yeah. It's all about asking. It's, I mean, ultimately, and, and I've always said this, um, anybody who's selling anything, regardless, right? Services, product, um, whatever it is, Salespeople, I always say, have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Yes. You should listen twice as much as you talk. Yes. And you better be asking smart questions geared around what you can do for them, not yeah. what they can do for you. Yeah. Like, so what's they... your problem? How can I solve that for you? Yes. Yes. That, I mean, that's so smart. Simple in theory. Yeah. It is difficult in practice. It is. It is. And I think... As you and I are selling services, we have to be good at mm-hmm. not only calling out a limitation, a problem, but for mm-hmm. them to emotionalize it or to feel it as the truth, right? If I, yeah. if I tell you, look, you know, your website sucks or whatever, like I can only offend you if I do that. But if I get you to ask yourself mm-hmm. a different question and to see that you, you come up with the insight and the emotion that comes mm-hmm. with that... And I'm, and right. you know, I, I think that's the way to go. That, that's what worked for me really well when I was selling in like boardrooms and a kind of brick and mortar consultancy was yeah. to come with an insight. And first I was just arrogantly thinking I'm so smart and look at the inside. But then I realized to just kind of pause and let them actually sit with it for a while. So kind of hurt them, heal them, mm-hmm. and then get them to see. And that was really, really useful that you shine light on a problem that they couldn't see, but they have the insight. I don't know if you have yeah. you do you have similar experiences. Well, I mean, I think that I think that that you know it's what I refer to as a blind spot. <laughs> exactly, it's the same thing. Yeah, right? yeah. It's it's the same thing. You don't know what you don't know, and you know, I always you know people ask me what's the difference between a great coach and everyone else. I say a great coach and un- un- helps you uncover your blind spots. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And once you can uncover those things and they're not, they're now in your conscious, you can now say, now let's put a structure in place to keep those from limiting me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's really, it's really exactly that. So uh, you mentioned a little bit about your game changer workshop. I want to talk a little bit about that and a couple of the claims that you make. So I'm going to challenge you about those. Mm -hmm. One of those challenges is build a business that works without you. How is that possible? <laughs> so, um, 
I remember that we, we, I mean, our basic slogan has been like, will a business that works even when you don't, but it's kind of the same thing, but let me explain. So okay. I yeah. believe that the ultimate thing that entrepreneurs want is to have a business that works. And, 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 and mm-hmm. when I say work that is functioning as it's supposed to, and I don't think that mm-hmm. an entrepreneur wants to work so deeply in the business that they're always kind of providing life support, running around mm-hmm. and doing too many different roles. So what I don't mean when I say that, and perhaps need to, to clarify a little bit, is like, I don't think entrepreneurs want to sip margaritas on a beach, but rather choose what they do. So in other words, typically you want to be the visionary, the, mm-hmm. you know, the strategist, right. or maybe work on product development, right. whatever you want to do. But I think there's something to be said about separating the company and the operations from you. And that's what we're really bullish on. So that's what we mean mm-hmm. when we say a company that works without you. When you go on a vacation, how long can your business survive? And if it right. doesn't, you're probably <laughs> providing too much life support. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, the other thing is you say uh, own a money machine or sell at high multiple. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so those two ideas are connected. So um, service businesses, if you look at it from a valuation point of view, if mm-hmm. it's an operator-owned business, if you can ever sell it, you're probably looking at a 1x multiple on EBITDA, which fancy word word for mm-hmm. net profits, it- right? Or, or EBITDA, as we EBITDA, pronounce it here sorry. In the I'm, I'm Scandinavian, so I'll say a lot of funny stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking my third language. Here. So EBITDA, okay. yeah, right. EBITDA. It sounded a little bit like I was trying to sound French or something. Um, <laughs> EBITDA. Um, yeah, so, but when you look at companies that are have a, a better model, let's say you have, we make the changes in a, in a business and it has a recurring revenue mm-hmm. model and it's mm-hmm. not dependent on the owner for doing the delivery, stuff like that, mm-hmm. then that multiple can be as much as 10 to 15. Or let's say, let's start with five, but it could be significantly mm-hmm. higher. So what I'm interested in is to find these operators who are, who are, who are not liking where they're at. Mm-hmm. And my my claim is like, let's first work at giving you the, your time and your life back. But maybe one day you're going to get tired. You want to sell your business or you want to milk it like a cash cow. Mm-hmm. That's going to be great when you have something that is saleable, exitable. Mm-hmm. Whether you sell it or not, it should be exitable. Mm-hmm. And a higher, you're going to get a higher price for it. Got it. Got it. Uh, and, and just in case there's anybody listening, there may be some people listening that don't know what EBITDA is. It means earnings before interest, tax, appreciation, earnings before interest, yeah. tax, appreciation, and amortization. Yes. So yeah. that's what that means for anybody because they're thinking EBITDA. What, how do you spell that? <laughs> Not to even mention so, EBITDA. For those. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah right. Exactly. Um, Tobias, is there anything that we have not talked about or I haven't covered that you want to cover before we say goodbye? I don't think so. Did I, miss I think anything? this has been very comprehensive. I mean, these ideas that I share, that's what I'm really about. I'm, I'm passionate about mm-hmm. business owners and helping mm-hmm. them uh, have mm-hmm. the freedom and the wealth they want. And so, yeah, I think, I think mm-hmm. this was excellent. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Good. Well, there is actually one question. I, it just dawned on me that I did forget to ask you. <laughs> so I'm going to ask that right now. Um, what are your growth plans? You've got five employees now. Yes. What are your uh, growth plans in building, in building a business rather than, you know, the, that solopreneurship or something? Yeah, company, yeah. Right? We're actually seven. I think, no, sorry. We added, an, we have eight people in our, on our team now. Uh, oh, good. So, okay. yeah, but I'm like, 
as much as I love building the team and making it work, I never think of it. I think the fewer employees I have, the better because I've, I've, I've been there. My goal is to build a, a portfolio of equity-based businesses that I get to work right. with, uh, with the worth of $100 million. That's That's my goal. So I don't think really about love it. employees or, or even turnover mm-hmm. because I want to go mm-hmm. into these businesses and, and have more leverage with them. So that's very Fantastic. transparent. Yeah. Love it. Well, Tobias Dahlberg, founder and CEO of The Simple Company. Thanks so much for being with me today. This is a really, a really fun conversation. I appreciate Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.